Welcome to Pure Hustle Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando. And we're on episode 227. Whoa. Hey, there was a show, wasn't there a show 227 or something like that? Like back, oh, yeah, I'm an old man. Anyways, was that like hey, back in the 30s or something? No, I think it was actually in the 70s. I was like a little kid. I was in syndication. Anyways, we're on episode 227. Uh, another interview. We're always grateful when we can do our interviews because Mike and I, our schedule have been kind of crazy. And so when we can get somebody to agree uh, to certain times, we're always great, gracious. And at the same time, when they're a legit reseller, we love bringing them on. So yeah. are we ready? Let's do it. All right. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce everyone to Osborne to Thrift, also known as Tim in real life. Uh, but that is his IG handle. And so we've been tracking you on social media for a long time, been wanting to have you on the podcast. I've had a lot of people DM us saying, hey, you got to get this guy on the podcast. And we're glad to be able to finally do it. By the way, he was great. He was like, hey, whatever time you need me, I'm available. So Tim, tell us a little bit about Osborne and Thrift, who you are, what you're about. And uh, we'll get started with the interview. Uh, yeah, I am. My name is Tim Osborne. I currently live up in Idaho and I am a full time thrifting reseller. And I've been doing, I've been reselling for five years now. And I just graduated college in December. And so I'm just kind of, this is going to be my first year without having school or anything. And it's just going to be a, a completely full time reselling. Wow. Very nice. Okay. Yeah. So, um, what, what got you into like reselling to start with? Like what, what made you feel like this is something I want to do? So my parents actually own a thrift store in Washington and they opened that back in 2010. So for the last two years of high school and then the first two years of being graduated, I was like their, uh, kind of like their electronic guy and their, and their helper and stuff. Like we have a, we have a big family. There's, we have seven kids. And so they used our work pretty often. Uh, and, and so after I graduated, I kind of turned that into, um, I, I stuck with them and I helped, uh, like just regular deliveries and stuff, but they get a lot of their stuff from storage units. And so after a little bit, I started running their eBay, um, their eBay like account in general and anything that was like too expensive for, for their thrift store, I would post on eBay and stuff. And a lot of times it was like electronic stuff. Cause that was just kind of something that I knew uh, growing up was electronics. And after I did that for two years and then I went to school and then I came back for like eight months and I did it again. And, but instead of only doing that, I decided I wanted, instead of getting like a nine to five, I wanted to start doing reselling myself with my own items. And so I started just going out thrifting and finding a bunch of, bunch of stuff to, to resell and everything. And that was October 29th of 2015. And since then it's, uh, I, I think it's doing pretty well. <laughs> we think so yeah. too. No, that's awesome. I mean, one of the things that that's kind of intriguing for that is you've got the experience of both like the brick and mortar side of the business and then the online side. And a lot of people only have one or the other. And the fact that you have both is uh, I think kind of unique and, and interesting uh, is the brick and mortar side, something that you would consider going back into, or do you find that doing, you know, just the online side of, of, of reselling being more um, enjoyable or profitable? Um, my, 
my current plans are to stick on stick to online. Uh, I I don't have an issue with brick and mortar, but it's just it's just much more fluid for me to be able to to work online and to do uh, to do all that. And unless I move to an area like, like I, I have to move, I, I would never open a brick and mortar shop where I am right now because it's a small little college town and there's no chance I would succeed um, doing brick and mortar stuff like that. And so for me, it's just, I, I prefer the online platform. So I'll probably stick to that. If I expand it all, it'll be more into like other platforms. It won't be like looking for like a physical shop or anything. Um, as well as the stuff that I get, I like, and, and how I get it because I thrift and everything. It's a lot easier for me to just toss that up online than it would be to, it, I don't know. I'd feel weird about going thrifting and then just walking over to like driving over to my brick and mortar store and putting it on the shelf for more. Um, I think that online works better for that. Like my parents, a lot of their stuff comes from storage units, uh, a little bit from consignment and um, like buying estate sales and stuff. So I, I don't have that. Um, like I don't have that desire to have that be my way on getting things and stuff. But if I ever did, I would have to live somewhere else for sure. <laughs> I'm intrigued a little bit because, you know, usually the, the path of resellers is, you know, they they start off with garage sales or the, and then they go to thrift stores and then then they want to go bigger, right? So then they go to buying out whole estates and then they go to buying storage units or some go the other way, right? They get a warehouse and they bring pallets in and they hire individuals. So you had a lot of the knowledge. I mean, you have the knowledge right now about how to do house cleanouts and how to do storage units. So, and I'm not trying to cause drama between you and your family. I just, I'm just intrigued about, you know, why, why not? Like, why, what is it about thrifting that is more appealing to you than going down this road? Cause normally you would, people would go, oh yeah. Cause I get it all the time. I get it. Hey, Orlando, you need to do house cleanouts. Like I get it. I mean, on the weekly basis, I get people either in the DMS or personal people I know that goes, Hey, I know this guy, he does house cleanouts and he, he does real well. And I have my own reasons for not doing it, but I'm interested in your reasons. For not doing brick and mortar? Yeah, well, not only brick and mortar, but like the storage units and estate cleanouts and all that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, don't have, uh, so I don't have a problem with storage units. Right now, there are none. I, every so often, I get a notification that... Uh, at least not, not in the last year, but like there's a place that I follow in a town near me. That's like, they do auctions occasionally. And they're, that's like the only place within like 60 miles that does, uh, like, uh, storage auctions. And every time that they've had one, it's been a weekend that I'm like out of town or something. But, um, I, I love doing storage auctions and everything. I, I loved going with my, with my dad to those and clearing them out and then like finding all of the good stuff that can go on eBay. But it, right, here the market for it is just there they just don't do them i don't know if uh they if the places just don't find it profitable or what or if they just give people a lot of leeway or something but uh out of the six years i've been here i've only had maybe like three or four notifications that there's one happening anytime any place near me and as for like stay so clean outs like it's just, right now it's just not something that i've gotten to, you know, like, I, I don't know if I'll ever really have that desire or, or, or like put, be in that situation where, where that's possible. But I like, 
it's just like the area. I don't really get that. And because I was in school, I wasn't really looking to expand that kind of stuff. Um, I was, I, I had something that I was, that was succeeding, which was thrifting to resell. And then, and I was able to do that for, um, six months of the year it was full time. And then the other six months I was in call or I was taking classes and it just, I didn't want, I didn't have the, like any interest in like changing it up at the time because I was very, um, you know, those six months that you're with school, it can be pretty stressful and stuff trying to graduate and everything. And so for me, it's just, I haven't really thought about it, I guess, uh, into more detail. When I look at like expanding, I look more into like, um, potentially like looking into retail arbitrage or like liquidation pallets or, um, like auctions near me and stuff, which I've been getting into a little bit, but more on the grand scale, grander scales of that like entire buyouts of of uh estate sales or something like that is i just haven't really given it enough thought i guess um it's not not to say that i wouldn't i wouldn't do it just more that like right now that's not where my business is um for now because i i have something that's succeeding and so i'm like focusing on that and putting my energy into that no that's great to hear i because mean, you know we we have the tendency as resources to get caught up on what other people are doing and saying, Hey, if we did this, we'd be better if we did this. But if you have something that's successful and it continues to be successful, it continues to grow. I'm always a big fan of staying in your lane and, and keep going in the direction you're going. Like I, 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 I love watching your Instagram and your YouTube videos because you do the stuff that I wouldn't want to do, but you're very good <laughs> at doing it. And so that's why we have you on here because what you do takes work. And so we'll talk about that in a little bit. So, what what does your operation look like? Today? You're full time. So like in a week, you know, how often do you source? Uh, how much do you give to listing? Is it you and your wife? Is it just you? How's it? How's that all? Look? So to start off, it is just me. My, uh, my wife works at a hair salon in town, um, but I'm the one who I run the business. I've, I've been the one who's been running it for since it was made. She's helped every so often with things and, but it's mainly just me, but my week is usually, it's actually very like very routine. It's uh, Mondays. I ship out weekends. So, so I ship out three days a week. I ship out Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. And I used to do every day, but with, uh, with how much I was shipping out, I just decided to kind of like relieve some stress and do it every, like every other day. And so uh, Mondays I'll ship stuff out. And then Tuesdays I drive down to the town near me. So I live in, Rexburg, Idaho, and 30 minutes from me is Idaho Falls. And Rexburg only has one thrift store. Uh, it has another one, but it's more of a clothing thrift store. Um, and so I'll go down to Idaho Falls on Tuesdays because they have like, I usually hit up six thrift stores down there and I think they have like eight total. Um, and so I'll go down there and I'll thrift usually all day. I'll usually get there in the morning, right. When, um, the, the biggest one opens and then I'll just thrift for four or five, six hours, however long it takes me. And then, uh, Wednesday I'll go to the, the, the thrift store that's here. It's called Desert industries. And I'll go, I'll go here and thrift in the morning real quick. And then I'll get all my items shipped out. Uh, and then I'll start tackling the pile that I got on Tuesday and Wednesday. Then Thursday, uh, recently I've started to go to the, my local thrift store like every day, because I've noticed that in the mornings they bring out a lot of really good stuff. And because of COVID and everything, they don't, they don't bring things out during the day. So if I go in there in the morning, I end up finding 
a lot more stuff than if I was there at like 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. So I've been going every day and I've found that pretty, pretty successful. And it's usually only like a 20 or 30 minute stop, but I'm able to, uh, to grab a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, and then Thursday, uh, Thursday is just solely for tackling the pile. Usually I can get, uh, everything cleaned and tested by the end of the day on Thursday. And then Fridays I'll ship the rest of the stuff out and then I'll start taking pictures of everything. And then Friday night, Saturday and Sunday, if, if I have a lot of stuff, I'll just get a bunch of, um, bunch of items listed. I just use my phone. So the pictures on my phone, I'll just watch a show, a, a game or something. And I'll just list a bunch of stuff. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's pretty much exactly the same every week, except, uh, every couple of months I drive down to Utah and I'll do a huge sourcing trip down there and I'll fill a car up. And then, uh, once a month I drive down a little further than Idaho falls is about a hundred miles and I'll source uh, a little bit down there. But other than that, every, every week is pretty, pretty routine and pretty much the same just because it, it works for me. So nice. So when you were, when you were working at your, your parents brick and mortar store, it sounded like electronics was kind of your go-to. That's what you you knew and and enjoyed selling. Uh, Is that, that, primarily what you're still selling or have you kind of branched out to different types of items? Um, when I first started, that was pretty much all I looked at. I never looked at clothes. I never looked at shoes or anything because I was like, I, I knew video games a little bit. So when I first started all, I was going to every thrift store and I was only looking for guitar hero guitars. And then after a couple of weeks, I started looking for like remote controls and cause I, I didn't have like a huge knowledge on some of the more like, like older technology, like VCRs and combo players and stuff and stereo receivers or things like that. And, um, but as, as it went on, I just, I just started looking everything up and, and started figuring out more value in things. And so now, nowadays I do sell, it's still probably 90% like hard goods, electronic, uh, devices and stuff, but I've, I've dived into more like, um, I've got a couple of shoes down there that I've started getting into. I, I don't know a lot of brands about them. However, I've, you know, I'll, I'll glance. And if I see anything that stands out, like a certain brand, I'll grab it. Uh, I started doing pots and pans because, uh, there's another Instagrammer and YouTuber who they're, they do pots and pans all the time and, and there's like crazy good value in them. And so I pick those up now. I don't do clothes very much and I don't do like glassware things, but, um, or anything like I don't do like furniture or anything like that, but, um, pretty much anything, like I'll just be looking things up everywhere and anything that I can make money off of. But I do, I do lean more towards, uh, electronics nowadays, uh, with a little bit dabbling in other categories. How much time are you spending, uh, like testing and repairing things? Yeah. So I, uh, when I'm at a thrift store, I try and test an item like a decent amount when I'm there. So if it's like a VCR player, I'll usually the thrift stores I go to have like a television I can plug it into or something. Um, I'll do, uh, sometimes there's my cart. If my cart's like really full or something, I'll, I'll do basic tests on them. I, I do try and like, get a general sense that they work before I purchase them. Um, there are some, some devices that are easier to tell if they're going to work or not within like 30 seconds. But then, but then I test them again when I get home, when I'm listing them. So my, my process on listing is I'll test things and, uh, and then I'll clean them and then I'll take pictures because if I, if I 
clean them and then test them and they don't work. It's a waste of time. Um, but I do try and retest everything when I get home so that I can make sure that they are going to work. Um, I don't do repairs actually. I'll sometimes I'll buy parts for items. Um, but usually if an item ends up not working, I'll start looking up if I can part it out or if it has a, if it has a market online for, um, for being broken. Cause there are plenty of devices, especially once you start getting into the over a hundred dollar value of them, that even if they're broken, some people will still pay a decent amount for them. But I, I just don't, I don't repair. Uh, usually if something's not working, I'll just kind of recycle it or, or trash it. Or if I can't like, um, get parts out of it or anything. So do you have things set up already? Like when you test speakers, do you already have like a receiver ready to go? When you test video games, do you have multiple consoles. Like how do you have things set up so it doesn't become too time in- intensive? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I actually, yeah, I do have in my storage unit, I have some speakers like, like if I have like a bunch of uh, stereo receivers to test, I'll, I'll pull bring those speakers inside and I'll, uh, it just makes it more fluid. And I, I do have a lot of consoles as well that I, um, keep for personal use as well as, uh, for testing use. So it, it works out. And then I have a, I have a PC. So for some things I'm able to just test them on the PC if they're USB, uh, devices or something, but I do, I do have a lot of those and I know a lot of people, don't have the ability to have a lot of that kind of stuff. But for me, it's just, I, a part, like some of them I invested in myself, some of them I had personally, but, and then some of them I found at thrift stores and I just kept like the television that I use to test all of my, anything that brings a video is like some small 13 inch, um, box TV that I bought for like 10 bucks. And I had it listed on eBay for, uh, like two years. And then I, and then it sold just actually last week, it sold for 50 bucks. And then the buyer's address was all messed up. And then they didn't repurchase it when I told them to, to rebuy it. So I just removed it from eBay. And, uh, because it's, I realized after it sold that I was going to be really like annoyed with trying to test things because there were, uh, because our TV is like mounted on the wall in the living room and it's, I'd have to be like standing up to do to plug everything in. It would just be very, uh, annoying. So I'm just keeping it now, but I, I keep a lot of, um, or I, I have, not, it's not really a lot. I just have, uh, the, the necessities, you know, I have a drawer filled with different types of batteries that are needed. I have a drawer filled with a bunch of different cords that I can use for charging things or testing things. And, uh, sometimes I include them, uh, with the listing if I have some spares and everything. No, that's great. I'm a big believer. If you do electronics, you have to have systems in place because I've done the whole sourcing this and sourcing that. And then I get home. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I I need this piece to test it. And then I spend another hour trying to find that piece. And then I then I go back and it's not the right piece. But if you have everything ready to go, it's not any different than if you're selling clothing and you have to do measurements. You know, do you have your measuring stuff together? Do you have your picture stuff together? It's the same thing. It just you got to have systems in place. So that's good. That's good. Now, do you, do you find that you part out a lot of your stuff or do you find that it's better for you to sell it as a whole? Um, it just depends. I am like, I, I make a lot of posts on Instagram about it, about parting things out because it's, uh, I feel like a lot of people just don't realize how much certain things can go for. Like, um, there's these little new wave, um, convention, convection ovens, and there's like a mini version and the mini version has a plastic dome and the plastic dome can go for like 60 or $75. If you sell it by itself, while the actual whole device, if you had it all together, you could probably sell it for like 
um, 50 bucks pretty quick. Um, and it's just because somebody's going to come along and they don't have the dome, but they don't want to buy a brand new thing and ship and have it shipped and stuff. And, um, there's just a lot of stuff. Like, uh, I, I parted out a turntable and made like almost 200 bucks off it. Um, that, and it was broken. I paid 20 bucks for it. And I was like, well, I can make money even if it's broken because of all of the, the stuff I can part out for it. So most of the stuff is actually, most of the stuff I sell is not parted out, but there are just things that are like, especially like, I, I feel like kitchen appliances are a pretty big one, like blades and uh, lids and just uh, attachment bowls and everything. But I just, I just enjoy it because it usually it ends up being something that I don't have to test because it's something, some little plastic device or it's a blade or something. And uh, it saves me time. So sometimes I do part it out just because I don't want to have to deal with the like, possibility of there being an issue with the electronic side of it but it's not i probably i'd probably say like 20 30 percent of the items in my store are probably parted out nice so with with shipping electronics like that like i've i've shipped i mean i've grown to the point where at one point i was doing a couple of vcrs and then i had a lot of vcrs and then i stopped listing them because they were almost too much work for me but one of the things i hated the most was having to ship them because these are bigger items they cost a little bit more to ship and i I feel like there's always that fear of like is this going to break in shipping where you know if i'm if i'm shipping a book or something like that it's it's not as stressful so have you had any um like maybe items that have broken in shipping like how did you learn how to ship electronics like that and then what are the the tips you would give to somebody who's trying to learn how to ship electronics yeah um like a lot of people they they come to me and they uh, like they say that like shipping big things is what they're afraid of and it's it's so weird because i've never felt that way i've always felt like just because it's big doesn't mean I don't want to ship it, you know, like, because I can make some good money off it. But there is, there is that kind of like concern because things do break. There's not a single shipping company that I've used that hasn't broken one of my items before. And it's just about like, just be ridiculously like, um, just use a lot of bubble wrap, you know, like that, that's probably my biggest thing. I feel like some people just throw a little bit of bubble wrap, like one layer or two layers, and then they throw it in a box. And for me, like I spend a few hundred dollars on bubble wrap every month, um, just because of all the big stuff that I ship. And I never, I never look at something and go like this, this, has too much bubble wrap because I would want to, you know, you want to make sure something's going to get to them because otherwise you're out the cost of the item and the, uh, and the shipping because you have to refund the buyer. And so it, it's take it like, it was maybe like three or four years ago. Um, it took me a couple years to figure out like the best ways I started figuring out what boxes fit things perfectly or what are the most common boxes uh, that will be good to use that I can find pretty easily. And I use a lot of the same boxes nowadays. I, I think I have um, four or five different measurements of boxes that I usually keep on hand because the VCR players can all fit in one type of box. And I found like the perfect size that fits them or the, the DVD VCR combos or the stereos or anything like that. So I keep a lot of boxes on hand. I keep plenty of bubble wrap. I started buying bubble wrap that instead of it being like a 12 by 12 bubble wrap, it's 24 by 12. So it's like a longer, um, a longer thing. And it's a little extra to buy, but it makes it so that I'm able to, uh, I don't have to do as many, like, 
I don't have to wrap the bubble wrap around as much because I'm, oh, I, I'm never... I have a 48, a 48. Oh, yeah. It's just, you just roll it, roll it, roll it. And you're good to go. Yeah. It's so much nicer. I, I found that out. It was last year sometime. I, I, I saw it and I was like, I want to test this out. So I ordered it and I, I hardly ever order uh 12 inch bubble wrap anymore just because it's so like nice to use now. But I just think a lot of people, they get, they get worried because they're big items, but they don't realize that like, it's, it's really not hard to like the actual packing of them. Isn't too difficult. I, I like some people don't have as much time and everything, but once you get the hang of like how to ship them or like you have plenty of boxes to ship them and stuff, it, it really is just all like very fluid, I guess. Um, I, I never, I don't really even think much of, how I'm going to ship something anymore. I just think of, Oh, which box am I going to use to ship this thing? No, oh, it's great. What you're saying. I mean, we, you're saying the same thing that we talked about electronics is as long as you have everything you need, it makes it a lot easier. And I agree with you, even with the bowl wrap, I, I buy the 48 by 12 or something. It's like obnoxious, but <laughs> when I have a large item, like I don't worry about it. I just roll it, roll it, roll it, tape it, put it in a box and it's good to go. And it's good to send. So larger items aren't that big of a deal. Now, my question is, how much do you Frankenbox? Is that is that common for you? Because I see a lot of either you pick up vacuums, you pick up even I don't know if that fan in the back. I don't know what you're picking up. But, <laughs> you know, I see a lot of the stuff, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if there's going to be a box for that one. He's going to have to Frankenbox. You Frankenbox a lot, and if you do, what what do you find the fastest way to figure it out? So I now by frankenbox do you mean putting two boxes together or solely cutting boxes up and into something crazy any creation whether it means two boxes <laughs> i mean this is frankenbox so whether it means putting multiple boxes together which i do for larger items i know what you're talking about you pick two smaller box items put them on top of each other and it makes it really easy mm -hmm. uh, but you know sometimes you you got to cut apart boxes tape them in, in interesting ways i mean i just got a feedback that said this thing was packaged packaged crazy <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I have to get creative with it. So how often do you uh, creatively pack? So every day that I ship, I will always have at least one item that I have to use two different boxes. One of my most common boxes is a 12 by 12 by 12. And that's because the once you get bigger than a 12 cubed, the post office will start charging you more based off dimensional weight. So I keep a lot of 12 cubed boxes so that if something is too small for it, uh, then I can cut it down. If something's too big for it, then I can potentially add two together. So I usually am, I usually have at least one item that's going to be Frankenboxed by putting several boxes together. Guitar Hero guitars, I use two priority boxes. Um, when it comes to like cutting a box into something crazy, I don't really usually do that. I usually just cut boxes down if needed. Um, but I haven't, I haven't done some crazy wild Frankenbox in a long time where I'm like, where it's like a triangle or something like, but that's just, that's just mainly cause most of the stuff I ship is like, I don't know, it's like a square or a rectangle a lot of the times, like, but like a vacuum, uh, they're actually, uh, I actually have to ship a canister vacuum on, uh, Tuesday and that, that thing, I, I can fit that into like if I put two 12 cube boxes together, I can actually fit it in that, but I'll use a, there's a, there's a store near me that actually sells um, all kinds of box sizes. Oh, and one of the box sizes that they have is a 24 by 16 by 13. And I found that that box size fits canister vacuums like 
basically perfectly. I have to like, sometimes I have to cut an inch or two off, um, but it fits them really nicely. And, uh, and then I don't have to, I don't have to do some kind of makeshift box or something. And there's usually no room that, uh, no room for it to move. Um, but if I end up, if I end up needing a certain box size, I usually check that place out first. I, I kind of, I kind of know what kind of box sizes they have. I've been going to it for five years. So I, I, I just kind of think if there's anything there that I can pick up, but if not, then I'll start manipulating, uh, boxes and putting them together or something. Nice. You, you find, so you mentioned earlier and you kind of mentioned it again that you're, you're shipping only three days a week, right? Like every other day and yeah. you found when you made that switch, did your sales decrease at all? Cause there's a lot of, um, you know, debate or, or people believe that Orlando know, believes that you should ship every day. Well, I mean, I'm yeah. sure there's certain benefits to that as far as like, you know, or if they see it's going to ship sooner, they might be more likely, but uh, then there's beliefs as far as like the algorithm. Will your stuff be pushed up if you're you're shipping every day? So, did you notice a drop when you when you changed your your shipping and handling time? So I've gone back and forth over the last couple of years. Um, last year was half the year was one day handling time, half the year was two day handling time, and then I switched it back to two day basically to start the year. But then the year before that, it was like most of the time it was one day. Um, and then, but when I'm in call or when I was taking classes, it was two day just to not to stress myself out. I, I personally have not found any difference in the same vein that I haven't found any difference with whether I do calculated shipping or whether I do free shipping. I think that there can be benefits to it and everything, but I found that it, it doesn't affect me. And I, I don't know if that's maybe because the stuff that I'm selling is, I feel like a lot of people look at it as like, you know, if they're selling clothes or shoes, there's going to be a lot of those on the market, unless it's like some custom or unique shoe or, or a piece of clothes. And so what you need to do is to find a way to like be seen within the, you know, the ocean of all the other items that are listed. For me, a lot of the items that I'm selling are not that there's like not a lot of them listed, but just that they're very it's very easy to distinguish. Oh, does this one have a lot of scratches? Is it working? Is it have all the parts and stuff? So a lot of people are still able to find my items because they, they have more unique things to them than just, Oh, it's free shipping or it's calculated shipping or it's, um, what were we even, what we're we're just talking about whether it mattered if you ship three days a week. Oh yeah. Yeah. The shipping. No, I had the, I had the free shipping in my head and I forgot about the uh, the time. Yeah. For me though. Yeah. I, I don't find any, um, I don't find any difference, at least not in the last, uh, month and a half that I've been doing it. I found, I find more of a difference from not listing than I do, uh, not shipping. And I don't find the, uh, cause there's top rated seller, uh, which is what everybody strives to have. Um, but then there's top rated seller seller plus, which is one day handling time. And um, what is it? It's one day handling time. And is it free shipping? Oh, I don't think it's free, free, free returns, free returns. Yes. Yes. So, uh, free returns. That's what it is. So I, uh, I also used to do that. And then, I, uh, and they give you like an extra 10% off fees. Um, but I found that like my own stress and not having to ship out every single day was worth more than that extra 10% off fees that I got. Um, but I have not found a decrease in my, in my sales or anything from specifically doing that. I find it more from not listing or just not sending out offers and stuff like that. No, it's good. I do think you have a unique 
like space of stuff that you sell. Cause I look at the stuff that you sell and one, I think it's, you definitely have found like a niche, like you understand things. Like I, I can't explain it, but there's some resellers, like I can go into a store and I can find clothing and I can find stuff pretty quick. Uh, when it comes to electronics, eh, it takes me a little bit longer, right? When it comes to video games, I know what's what's worth picking up. So, but I, I do think it's kind of like a Craigslist Center. Craigslist Center has a lot of great sales, but he has some unique items that he's constantly selling. If oh, you yeah. ever watch his channel, right? Oh, it's yeah. not like hey, I picked up this Harley shirt or I picked up this car. It's like, hey, I picked up this collection of knives that, from this time, and he sells it for good money. Now, I have another debatable, a debated question here. So. <laughs> I'm big on overestimating when you send in big items, right? There's also the other argument is like you're losing money if you overestimate. But I, I find that the times that I didn't overestimate, I lost a lot of money because I get ex- charged extra for you know being incorrect and in, inaccurate in my measurements. Where do you land on all that? And and I think to clarify, part of the uh, okay. the, the feedback that you get is you've got the dichotomy of you're either overestimating significantly on the box size or you are underestimating as opposed to accurately yes correct describing i I think i think that's the better so is it better to overestimate or to be accurate which at face value it sounds like you should be accurate but what are your thoughts so i actually don't really talk about this kind of stuff with uh like in detail or anything but i actually uh my listings are pretty quick because i kind of just default to a lot of stuff so my my shipping most of my items will say um parcel select. Uh, I just choose the the cheapest USPS one. And unless the item is like humongous and I need to make sure that the uh, dimensions are correct because FedEx or UPS will start charging um, dimensional weight, then I don't really, I, I don't really uh, choose like, I don't really do the measurements super accurately. Um, and the reason is because I, when it comes to shipping, it's like I will overperform like how fast it gets there. So I choose the cheapest shipping method uh, or like the longest, which is usually parcel select. But then I usually sh- I, I very rarely ship an item parcel select. I usually ship it either priority mail if it's under the dimensional weight or if it's um, cheaper. Uh, but usually it's FedEx or UPS for bigger items. And the reason so USPS has uh, 12 cubed as their dimensional weight. And then after that, they start charging you more, like a lot more based off of how big the item is while FedEx. Can, and you, can I rewind you for a little bit? Yeah. Cause there's a lot of sellers that are listening and probably have no idea what dimensional weight is. Okay. Can you try to, I know you did a great job. I actually learned from your explanation at one point of dimensional weight. So mm-hmm. you should hear Tim's explanation. So, so yeah, I, I actually, I do. I actually know the numbers. So, um, a cubic foot, is where the post office decides if it's bigger than that, then you are, you're going to be charged dimensional weight. And so if you, if you have something bigger than a cubic foot, they'll start charging you based off of like the pounds of that dimensional weight. And so what you have to do is you have to multiply all three. You have to find the, the, uh, sorry, not, uh, yeah, you have to multiply everything together. So the height, weight and, and length. Uh, and so if it's a 12, a 12 cubed, is 1728 cubic inches. And then you divide that number by 166. I don't know why it's that number. That's just the number they chose. And so you divide it by 166. And that is, that would be the weight that they're going to charge you. So if something is, we'll say an 18 by 18 by 10, 
the the dimensional uh, or the the cubic inches is three thousand two hundred and forty. So you have to divide that by one sixty six, and it comes out as nineteen pounds and, uh, and five ounces, or nineteen and a half pounds. And so if that item, uh, if the item that you're shipping weighs less than nineteen and a half pounds, then the post office is going to charge you the higher number. So if it's 19 and a half pounds dimensional weight, but it's a 15 pound item, they're going to charge you 19 and a half pounds for that item. However, if it's a 25 pound item and it's 19 pounds dimensional weight, they're going to charge you 25. They cho- they choose the higher number. And so I, I usually I like just remembering the number 166 or 166 is the one that you divide it by. And it's really like, it's not difficult to figure out, which is why I have a lot of boxes that are like right under or like perfectly um, with the, the 12 um, cubic feet so that I don't go over that dimensional weight. But yeah, so it's, I don't know what FedEx or UPS's uh, dimensional weight is. It is a little higher than um, the post offices, which is why I'm, I usually ship Id- like bigger items through them because it's usually a lot cheaper than it is to ship uh, through the post office. Okay. So those that stayed through the podcast until this point, they, they're going to save a lot of money. Yeah. Because usually that, that is the one thing. I mean, we, I get it all the time. Hey, Orlando, I just shipped this out. It weighed only this and they charged me this much over. And I, I have to, unfortunately, send them a DM saying, I think you got hit with the dimensional weight. What were your measurements? That's exactly what happened. So, yeah. but so he kind of answered our question. Yeah, no, I think that's great. So, that was good. Um, so kind of moving away from from shipping for a minute now. Um, <laughs> this is a reselling podcast. Okay, It's okay to talk about shipping. No, for sure. But uh, <laughs> no, I think we covered it. So um, going back and maybe we can we can kind of spread this out to a couple of things because I'm really interested. We always ask like wins and losses. So maybe we'll get there in a second. But before that, do you have any like interesting thrift store stories being on the you were the uh, employee because I feel like as resellers we always have like you know the garage sale stories or the thrift store sell- stories as the the reseller you know the 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 customer uh, but I'm wondering like what's your maybe your most interesting story as like working at a thrift store or do you have any that come off the the top of your head uh, oh so like working uh, working at my parents thrift store right, thrift right. Store. okay yeah um off the top of my head uh, you get a lot of people who just think that uh, old equals value. Mm. So you get a lot of people bringing in just, just garbage basically. Uh, and saying like, Oh, these are all like the, the one that pops in my head. And the reason I remember this is because seven years ago, I made a Facebook status about it because of how ridiculous it was. But this lady comes in and she's got a, uh, like she's asking if we buy things. I said, occasionally we do. I have to run it by my parents though, because I can't give you cash. I'm I'm uh, 18. And, uh, and so she reaches into her pocket and pulls out literally just a handful of buttons. I'm not even kidding. They're just buttons. And I was like, which I was like, professor would debate you because Oxford professors, but I think huge, he's like doing military huge, buttons, huge money buttons. Yeah. Oh yeah. Buttons. These are like, these are like buttons on like, if I was wearing like a, a yeah, yeah. dress shirt kind of thing, like, and they're just, she pulls them out, puts them on the counter. She's like, how much would you offer me for these? And I was like, I was like, oh, well, nothing. They're buttons. And she's like, yeah, but they're, they're vintage buttons. So I was like, what does that mean in this context? Like, be, are they from 30 year old pants or are they some kind of like, 
specific memorabilia or something. And she's like, uh, and she didn't answer it. She was just like, they're just, they're just old, but they're, they're vintage buttons. And so I was like, I made a Facebook status about it. I was like, Hey, just so everybody knows vintage or old does not mean valuable. Like vintage, it, it, maybe they are vintage, but it's not vintage in the sense that it holds any kind of value to them. You should have just stuck your hand in your pocket and pulled out whatever was in there. Like a <laughs> piece of chewing gum and, and some, some, uh, some lint will trade. No, but, it, but it's so true though. I mean, that's a trap that you fall in as a new seller. You, you, you see things that are old and you're like, Oh, this must be money. Right. You find like an old, I don't know, Campbell's or something or, or, you know, and you're like, well, I, I did that myself. I bought a, an old torch. And it was all rusted and it looked really cool. And I paid $5. I'm like, this must be worth a hundred. And I remember going to the antique store and they're like, uh, I'll give you 10 bucks. And <laughs> 10 bucks is worth at least 50. They're like, no, it's garbage. And I was like, all right, I'll take it. And I took my 10 bucks and they were right. Cause I looked it up on eBay and it was only worth like five to 10 bucks. They're, I think they were just being nice to me, but, but it's true. It is very true. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't trust my own instincts on things anymore. I'm like, I have my phone with the eBay app on it and infinite knowledge on the internet. I would never like, if I look at something and go, this might be valuable. I'm 80% of the time. I'm just completely wrong. <laughs> like if it's something I've never seen, um, I just found a, um, it's like a little cassette tape player. And I was like, this, there's no way this is worth anything, but I'm going to look it up anyway, because, because the colors were cool. And I looked it up and the most, like the only one that ever sold, it was like a retro, um, just, uh, the colors were like yellow and light green and pink. And it was it, the recent run sold for like 60 bucks. And I was like, are you joking me? Like this is why would anybody want this? And I even posted it on my Instagram story and I get a whole bunch of messages from people saying, this is so cool. Like I want this. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to like, and so for me, it's just, I look everything up because uh, I, I personally think my instincts on things, if I haven't sold them before, my instincts are terrible on, on finding things. Oh, that's good. <laughs> you could almost go the opposite. I used to say that with my wife. Cause when, when my wife uh, and I first got together, we were dating um, her like dress style, like the way she would dress was so different than I was used to. And it always looked great. Whatever she was wearing looked great. Uh, but like when we'd go into the store and I'd see something like, Oh, this looks ugly. And she's like, no, it's wonderful. And she'd put it on and be like, great. <laughs> like my goal, if I were to ever buy her clothes, would go into the store and look for the ugliest thing I could imagine. And that's going to be the thing that actually looks good. Uh, but yeah, my <laughs> instinct was so wrong. So you can almost use the opposite of like, if you think something's not valuable, maybe that's what you should look up. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about some wins and losses. Share with us, first of all, a couple of your major losses, and then we'll redeem ourselves with some wins. Specifically, thrifting, uh, or maybe something that was worth a lot that you poorly packed. I don't know, whatever, whatever you want to think about. So I, I make the joke that my worst flip ever was the first car I ever bought because I, uh, I, it was four months after I started, um, four months after I started thrifting and, and reselling and I, I wanted a car cause I wanted to come back up to the town that I lived in. And, uh, and so I spent just like, it was like three grand for like some old suburban or something. And it was okay. Like it, it worked when I got it and stuff. And then, and then I went to my mechanic and luckily he was a good friend of our, of my family. So he, he helped me out and stuff. And, 
it was like $1,500 in parts I had to do, uh, like put into it. And then, and he didn't charge me labor for it because that was going to be another way too much. And then I drive it up to, um, I drive it up here to college. And then the moment, the moment that I get here, the, the tire goes flat and then I fix the tire and then the alternator goes out and then I fix the alternator. And then there's just so many electrical problems for like an entire year. And I finally, like, I, I don't want to keep putting money into it. So I sell it for like 900 bucks. <laughs> I was like, this is the worst. I was like, this is the worst flip of my life. I paid so much money for this dang car. And then it ended up uh, just being garbage. But I, I say that more jokingly when it comes to like actual, um, like a big, big, bad flip. I don't know. Like I, I really, it wasn't until the last year or so that I started really looking at bigger purchases. Like it was last year about where I started uh, being more okay with being like, okay, I'm going to spend a hundred bucks on this or 150 or something like that. Um, and before that it was, I was very cautious because, uh, at the time, you know, like money was just, uh, little and everything. And so I was very cautious on stuff. So I don't really have like a lot of like bad flips, like fails in general. Um, I kept risking medical devices on eBay. And in 2019, I ended up getting suspended for an entire month uh, from I, I, my items could still sell, but I couldn't list anything. And so this was like August of 2019 and it was for a full 30 days. And it was just, I had some money coming in here and there, but it, it forced me to start looking into Amazon and Mercari and everything. But I, I kept playing this like game of like, oh, I'm pretty sure this isn't a medical device. And then they would be like, oh, hey, this is a medical device. You can't sell it here. And they would ding my account and I'd be I'd be out for like three days or a week. And then after I had one that it was like. Uh, I had a seven day suspension. And then like a couple weeks later, apparently they went through my account again and I hadn't even listed anything new and they found more things and they're just like, you can't sell these. And they suspended me for a month. So that's probably like the, that that's probably the worst feeling I've ever had from reselling because it, it really made me go, Holy cow. I could lose all of my income, like, like all, like the entire platform because like, like over this one problem. So I really need to be like, it put me on edge for like six months where I was like, I, I was really, really um, like specific about what I was buying. And even if there was a chance that it was going to be something medical or something that they just have banned, I was like, I'm not, I'm not even going to buy it to, to like, to be tempted to list it or anything because it was just uh, for like six months. I was, I was very nervous that they were going to find something else. I, I purged my eBay store of anything that might be considered uh, like a problem. So that was probably like the worst, definitely the worst feeling and like the biggest fail. It, it did introduce me to Amazon a little more, but it was just, uh, that was a stressful time. You know, I, eBay always, when, when they drop the ball, they, you know, we start looking over the fence that's all I got to say. So, um, but now I got a question and I already know the answer to this, but how, how do you know if medical device is not okay to sell on eBay? Uh, eBay has a web, uh, like a, a page that you can go to. If you just Google eBay's medical policy, then it's like the first link that comes up. And so they have typically the, the best thing is just if it's a prescription device or something that you ha- you need a doctor to be able to get you, then 
you can't sell it. Some they have like nerve stimulators and stuff that you can't sell as well. Like anything that requires a prescription is the best way to know if it can't be sold. But I would recommend reading through the entire, like, it's not a very long page, but just familiarizing yourself with what you can't sell because yeah, it can really, it can really bite you in the butt pretty quick. If you're, uh, if you're trying to sell them. Yeah. I, I spent a bunch of money on a, a CPAP machine that I thought I was going to sell on eBay and then uh, realized that that was probably not a good idea. Yeah. CPAPs, but, CPAPs have made me a lot of money and I've always, I've always known about the websites you can use to resell on them uh, or you can sell them to, but a lot of people didn't. And like, that's, that's something I keep on my Instagram for people to see is just like a little link that says like mm-hmm. how to sell CPAPs because I, I, when I, I would make a bunch of, give a bunch of information about it. And I always get somebody new saying, Holy cow, they just offered me 200 bucks or something for this machine. I found I was like, that's awesome, but don't sell it on eBay. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about that real quick. So with windows companies, and, and by the way, check out Osborne to thrift on Instagram. I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. There are tips. I'm I'm on it. Whenever he shows something, I'm like, all right, something new to add uh, to my arsenal. Now, CPAP, when they offer you, do they offer to like send you a shipping label and everything? How does that work? Yeah. So uh, there there are two websites I use regularly. One of them, uh, they'll provide you a UPS shipping label if you want it. Otherwise, they'll give you like a ten dollar credit to have it shipped to them. I always take the the label just because usually across the country that I have to ship it or it's, it's like Kentucky, I think that it goes to. And then the other one I have to ship it myself. So, um, but usually like you, you go through their website and give them the information about the machine and then they will send you a quote, uh, on it or some, a lot of older machines they won't even touch. So if the item, if the device looks like really, uh, like dated, then you should probably take that into account when, with how much you're going to put into it. Like if it's like a $20 device, but it looks pretty old, you probably don't want to touch it. Um, because you just might be out 20 bucks, but they, uh, they'll send you a quote and they'll ask some questions. They'll get, they get some pictures from you and everything. And then you just ship it out. And within like, it's usually within like a 10 days from when I ship it, I'm usually paid and it's PayPal. They usually use. Mm-hmm. Right, that's good to know. Yeah, because I, 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 I pass up on CPAPs just because I don't want to deal with it. But actually, I don't think I've seen a CPAP machine in over a year. But if I do, I mean, it's if a lot of our listeners here. I, I've been there before where I've listed stuff and I didn't know it was wrong until after the fact. <laughs> and I find that a lot, with, even with that comprehensive list, there's still stuff that you don't know until <laughs> until you list. And you always, you always see the solds because people still are able to sell because somehow the algorithm doesn't catch it. But yeah, just got to be careful about those devices. All right, let's talk about some wins here. What have been some of your best scores that you've had? Uh, Best score is the one that I didn't know I got. I picked up an Olympus camera. It was an OM-1, just a regular camera. Um, I paid like 25 bucks for it and I was going to sell it for... I think I ended up selling it for 100 bucks. But as I was... Uh, it was, it was in a Utah trip and the, the camera in the bag sat there for like three weeks as I was getting to things. And then I finally got to the camera. Like it was one of the last things that I was cleaning up and testing. I was looking through and I found another lens in it and it was a, a bell and Howell lens. And usually bell and Howell stuff isn't worth a lot, uh, at least with some of the electronic stuff that I find. And, but I was like, well, I might as well look it up and everything. And the lens ended up being, it was like a $1,200 lens. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's and, a nice 
Yeah. And I was like, it, I, I yelled to my wife. I was like, holy cow, this lens is worth so much. And I, I triple checked everything to make sure it was the right lens and stuff. And I ended up listing it for $1,100. And in the morning I had a $900 offer and I took it. And I, I basically, in, I, I look at it as I paid nothing for it because I paid 25 bucks for the whole camera bag not knowing that that was even in there. And so I was like, well, I'm going to make 50 to $75 off of this camera. And then all of a sudden there's this lens in here. I was like, Oh my gosh, but that, that is the, that's the, actually that, I think that's the second best purchase. I would consider it. My, my biggest one was about two years ago. I picked up uh, four of these. They were solar solar powered like data collectors. So you, you use them as like the main source of your um, like, if you had solar panels and stuff like that, that's what all the data went through or like the energy or something. I don't know the specifics, but they were brand new in the box. I picked up four of them for three ninety five each. And I sold them within two weeks for two of them sold for 325 and two of them sold for 415 uh, wow. each. So I ended up making about Thirteen hundred dollars in two weeks off of a sixteen dollar purchase. It was, hmm. yeah, that that's definitely like the biggest. And and that was at a thrift store. I found those at a thrift store, and uh, and it was one that I hadn't been to in about a month. And I usually didn't go to because it was they never really had anything. And then I show up there and they have these four things on the on the shelf, and I was like, I want to buy these. I don't. There wasn't a lot on eBay about them or anything, and they were the model was weird. So it was hard to really get some information about them. And then I threw them on eBay and it was just sale, 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 like so quickly. <laughs> yeah. You said two of them sold for, for a little less. Did you realize after the first couple sold, like maybe you need to raise the price? I listed them for 425 each and I had offers for 315 and 325. And I took those like the first couple of days. And then, and then I was like, okay, these sold way too like I had so much attention on them because there were a bunch of watchers all of a sudden. And so I was like, I need, I should probably hold out the, the price. And these are one of the things that I was sad. I wasn't into Amazon with at the time because I ended up looking them up after I got into Amazon uh, and they were going for $1,200 each on Amazon. <laughs> so I was very sad that I didn't know those existed uh, or that I wasn't on Amazon at the time, but uh, but at the time, $1,400 in my pocket was pretty dang nice. Now, there's two sides to the Amazon part, though, because sometimes they say $1,200, but there's like one seller on it. So that person's hoping to get that $1,200. But sometimes, yeah, it is. Sometimes there's a lot of people that do eBay to Amazon arbitrage, mm -hmm. and uh, they, that's what they do. So, yeah, but still, I mean, $16 purchase into, I mean, that's still, that's, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like, hey, there's a right there. There's some great, uh, great bills I can pay now. <laughs> well, when you have sales like that, I mean, those are the kinds of things that, that really get resellers, I feel like, pumped and hyped and want to keep going. Uh, so you obviously have had reselling in your blood for a while now. You've been reselling. You've done it with your parents in the brick and mortar. Uh, is this where you see yourself like long term? Like you are a reseller. This is what you're going to do forever. Or do you kind of have this as like maybe uh, means to an end and you've got some other opportunities that you're, you're hoping for. What are your thoughts on that? Um, my hope is that I can do this forever. Basically. I, I love doing it. I love working and everything. I love going thrifting and finding things. I do want to find ways to expand from where I'm at. So whether that means getting more into auctions or 
retail arbitrage or online arbitrage. My, my sister resells. She does online arbitrage pretty often. Um, both my parents obviously run a thrift store where they do storage units and uh, estate sales. And so I want to look at more ways to expand the just reselling in general, but I don't have any desires to do anything else, you know, like to, to work um, a different job. I, I love doing this and I, I want to be able to like expand it into more, whether that means employees or, or like just bigger, bigger projects to, um, to find like liquidation pallets or anything like that. I just want to, I do want to do this as long as I possibly can. All right. So let's land there for a moment. So you just got a college degree, right? You have options. Why, why recently? What, what causes you to say, Hey, I want, this is what I love doing. It's fun. I, I, I really enjoy like being able to, to go thrifting and like look through things and like, and, and know like finding these treasures, you know, people, people love the, the treasure hunt of going yard sailing and potentially finding something that's worth a lot of money. And, and I'm able to do that for a living. And it's that, that, like that, just that high, I guess, of being able to find something really good, but also I just, I just love being able to, to find these things like out in the wild and, and make money off them. And, you know, it helps that I, I like being able to work my own schedule and be my own boss and everything. I, I like not having that kind of uh, constraint, but it's just, uh, it comes down to, it's just really fun for me in my opinion. Okay. No, I spoken like a true reseller. That's great. <laughs> Sounds like you were born to thrift. <laughs> Osborne. Okay, okay, we're not gonna go that. All right. <laughs> All right. So with that being said, do you have your final question that you want to ask? Yeah, so um I like to ask uh the, the people that we interview um based off of your experiences, your life experiences, the things you've learned throughout, whether it's reselling uh, just success or failures in life. Uh, wh- what is like kind of like the motto or, or a, a catchphrase that if you could like say either you live by, or you would recommend, like let's say some a younger person came to you and, and you could offer some advice, like what's the motto or the catchphrase that you kind of live by. So for reselling, just something like yeah, uh, reselling or life in general, oh, life in general, I don't have tips for life in general. <laughs> <laughs> um, for reselling that's fine yeah yeah for reselling it's just like i mean if it's something that you're interested in just just start doing it and like especially when it comes to like you there's so much information out there there's so many things you're never too late to get into it you have so much like, like there's so much stuff that people want and so much stuff out there that can be found and resold so I would just say like, just get started in it. Like you're, you're not too late to it. There's plenty out there. You're going to be able to succeed with it. If you, if you really uh, want to. Hey, all right. So no, that's, that's great. I wish I heard a lot of that when I was in my twenties, as far as, you know, follow a little bit of what you want to do. I mean, I loved what I did, but there were so many options, but I just chose to stick with my college degree, which was great. I guess it was great, but it's so awesome seeing you right now, loving what you're doing and continuing forward. Now that all depends though on reselling, where is reselling going? So my question is, what do you think? Do you think this is going to continue going upwards? Cause it feels like right now we're like in a golden era of reselling that pretty much as long as you have access to a smartphone, 
you can win at this if you're consistent about it. Just like that cha-ching that just happened. I think that was on Tim's side. That was perfect yeah, time for you. Nice. All right. So what, what are your thoughts about reselling? Um, well, I have been doing this for six years and then my, my I've been in the game in general for about a, a decade, maybe a little longer with my parents' stuff. So I I have a hard time seeing it really going anywhere like like disappearing anytime soon. I think that it has its highs and lows, like in the same way that like storage auctions used to be crazy popular because of storage wars. Now they're, you know, now you'll be lucky to find, you know, double digit people at one storage auction, depending on your area. I think they're reselling like people will get like, it will always have people getting in and getting out. And I don't think that it's going to go away anytime soon, as long as there are, avenues to to find those items you know but i also think that a lot of people aren't really as motivated to do it in more of a full-time sense they they look at it and they're like oh like i can find something at a thrift store and i can sell it but they don't look at that as like i could do this as my job no that's good that, and, and that tipping point it's hard to get to it's not easy to get to uh and it's also you have to have the right mindset to be able to do that you know it's actually i mean think about uh, do you find yourself having a hard time explaining to people you do full-time for a living or people usually don't ask um i have a hard time explaining at the start because i have to be quick if i say i run my own business they immediately jump into oh he's in an mlm <laughs> and so i have to be i have to be like oh i run my own business where i resell uh items that i find on ebay and i but usually after i say that they they get a little more intrigued but um i've never had an issue where someone's like oh like that's all you do. Like, <laughs> um, I, I'm usually able to explain. And, and especially once they start seeing, uh, like my operation or most people assume that it's just some simple side side gig that I do. And then if they ever see my numbers or if they ever, like, if I ever say like, Oh, I just sold this $200 item. They're like, Holy cow. But it's usually, they usually just, they usually just say like, Oh, that's cool. And then until they get more context on like how big my operation is, they, they don't really say anything else about it. Okay. All right. That makes sense. No, that's good. All right. So we're going to put it to Glodina. Any more questions? Nope. All right. So, Hey, thank you all for hanging out with us. So follow Tim on Osborne to thrift on Instagram and on YouTube. A lot of great videos, seriously, serious value for a real reseller. Anything else you want to share with us before we say goodbye? Uh, no, just thanks for having me on. It, it was fun. And it's uh, nice to be able to do more interviews like this in general. I don't do a lot of them, but it's nice to kind of be asked to do that. <laughs> oh, more people need to know about you. You you share a lot of good practical knowledge. So it, it's, it's incredible. So thanks so much, Tim, for being on. Really appreciate you. And uh, with that being said, make sure to be real, be relevant and be reselling. Please. Peace.